Welcome everyone to the Human Everywhere podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason Bott. Human Everywhere is a production of Deep Space Predictive Research Group. Deep Space Predictive focuses on the psychology and group dynamics of spaceflight. Human Everywhere comes out of that very focus because where so much about the question of space is in propulsion and engineering, we want to bring us back to the question of what does it mean to be human in space, recognizing that as we traverse into the stars above, that we are still ultimately human, that the human experience is key to that exploration. Joining me today are my two guest hosts, Aliris and Ubi, and I'll turn it over to themselves to introduce themselves and our guests for today. All right. Thank you, Jason. Hi, everybody. It is good to be here. Uh, yes, Yubi Simonetti, real name Ubaldo, but you can call me Yubi, like Yubi40. Uh, we're, we're all about some fun names today, which we're, we're going to practice in a second. But uh, thank you all. Uh, yeah, I co-founder of uh, Deep Space Predictive with Jason and Aliris, and, and we started Human Everywhere um, because we just we, we love having these types of conversations and and talking about how we're all going to get to space and beyond safely and, and, and healthy and all that kind of fun stuff. So thank you for being here. Uh, Alaris, I hand it to you. All right. Thank you, UB, Ubaldo. We're going to go full name <laughs> yes. um, with everyone. And Jason, thanks for that wonderful introduction. And you know, what's interesting is when we talk about human everywhere, we love to bring the conversation to the forefront that we've been having kind of outside and with our colleagues and interesting people that we meet along the way in our journey. And I've been fortunate enough to meet our guest for today. And our guest is um, Ola Aluwalu Tobi. Ola Aluwalu Tobi Thomas. So I'm very excited. Hopefully I got that on the second time. But he has been um, just a ball of energy and inspiration when it comes to the interest and kind of like a stand-in for the people who are kind of looking in from the outside and starting to dip their toe into the space, not only the industry, but the space experience. And Toby has been... Um, you know, part of that and watching him grow and get excited and participate and become part of this community has been very exciting. So I want to introduce uh, Ola Olawubi Toby, and I know I messed that up. I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> Thomas. Toby, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to sit in this chair. Oh, thank you so much for the welcome. Yeah, so uh, you're about 80% there on the name. So, you know, we get there. 90% before we started. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit about myself. I, um, uh, my name's Ola Lualotobi Thomas, and I had an interest in space when I was younger. But, you know, as life sometimes happens, you start to get missed, not, not misdirected. It's, it's definitely misdirected now, but back then just directed in different paths. And, you know, I, the way I got to where I'm at now, I, interestingly, I was working in the school and it was a young student having some issues in school academically and socially. So I was trying to inspire them. So I came across some space, space science material and I shared it with them. And in the process, 
before I shared them with them, I have vetted the information as we often do before we share such information. And I re-inspired myself. So at the time I was studying psychology. So I just changed everything. Just I finished the psychology degree, but I'm trying to start focusing everything into space. And my reference point was Star Trek at the time. So I wanted to be counselor yeah. in space. So I was like, Diana Sarazi, I was like, okay, this is how I'm gonna get to space. So I, you know, just slowly started just paving everything I did, making sure it's getting more and more and more on that path. And, you know, yeah. Isn't that, that's amazing. You know, it's, it's interesting um, because growing up, same, total Trekkie for me and always space adjacent, love sci-fi. That, that was sort of my entry point in, but never thought I could actually be a part of this industry or this world. Um, only until like maybe a couple of years ago, even, right? You know, for me, I used to think, oh man, you have to have clearance, you have to be an engineer, end of story. But that's not true. Like, so what did you feel? Like, what did you see? What did you experience that you were like, you know what, I, I can be a part of this? You know, I would have to credit uh, my dad for it. Because when I was younger, just literally always telling me, you can do anything in your mind you want to put to. And I really believe it. And I started looking at it, honestly, at the beginning when I was like, okay, I'm going to start taking this seriously. Not just like from the peripherals. I'm really going to seriously try to start moving this way. It felt overwhelming at first. Because like you all thinking, okay, how do I even get in there? I don't know anybody in the field. I don't know anything. And I eventually just said, okay, let me just put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to start trying to be Diana Tarazi and then see where that gets me. And the next foot in front of me was, okay, now I'm in this space where it's a little bit closer. So I would have conversations and start just telling everybody, yeah, I want to go to space. I want to do this. I want to do that. And my experience was just chipping away at it pretty much. Like I eventually found myself headed towards the astrophysics program, the grad program for that after getting all these different pre-requirements and then got into environmental geoscience and then just continued every every space I stepped in I just kept my eyes open say okay who's in this room who's in that room who's in this room and interestingly after that just it became more tangible and more real at first I, I didn't see a path and one of, one of my cousins sent me this picture whereas one it was like just a motivational picture one path is going straight up to what we think is going to be our path to get there and the other one's just like squiggly lines squiggly lines <laughs> yeah. so then i was like okay i'm on the squiggly line path and i'm gonna and i just let that be my focus like i'm on a squiggly line path i don't see the path right now but i'm going to keep in it and then now it's like oh i'm starting to see a path i'm starting to see a path and just getting excited each time i see a closer path so that's really what it was just not being afraid to not see what's in front of me and then hopefully that okay the path will start to uh, show itself and that's you know that's i think a lot of our stories because one thing about one thing i like to tell young people is like you said your path is not straightforward and it's a lot of different things it's not going to be the thing that's at the end you know when you talk about that why how did you make the connection with psychology in space other than Counselor Troy, which I am vibing <laughs> with that 100% because I'm like, that's what's needed. And that the fact that her presence is there mm -hmm. signifies the importance of behavioral health, mental health, um, connecting and making sure we recognize that human part of us, which is our emotions, 
which is how we get along with people and things like that. So how did you make that comfort <clears throat> connection in, in doing in your as one of as part of one of the squiggly lines in your space? Yeah, I I started looking at it from a spec like, okay, how would they take me seriously with this? And I said, okay, let me look at the facts on ground. Astronauts often in a closed environment, very tight space, limited resources, sound noises, just a lot of different factors they have to deal with. This is a huge mental task that they have to uh, handle. So I started looking at like, okay, maybe my background in understanding a few researches that people have done on how humans behave in different situations could possibly benefit this group of astronauts going to space. Although I don't have the technical science background in different things right now, I can offer that. So once I kind of put a gas on my back to say, okay, I can offer this, that's what kind of motivated me to take the next step. And, and I think literally that might have been the, the redundant pattern that starts to happen every time I'll get somewhere out kind of put a, a motor in my back say, okay, yeah, I can see how this could be beneficial in this space. So let me just pursue this until something else pops up or maybe this is the path. So yeah, that's how it, how it started off for me. Once I made that connection that, okay, they have medical doctors on it, but what about the mental aspect of it? If you can't function with other group of people, you could be the smartest person in the world nobody's going to want to talk to you. So <laughs> yeah. you just get that social skill. So I thought I could offer that. So you recently completed an analog. Tell us a little yes. bit about the analog. I don't, you know, I think we're all familiar with analog, but could you explain that what an analog is, what yes. an analog astronaut is, and tell us a little bit about your experience because you went to Poland. I'm going to just drop <laughs> that point right there. You just well, California to Poland. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, also, and also where along that squiggly path that came up, right? Because that, that, like, how did you get to that? To like, hey, I'm going to do an analog. Yeah, you know, interesting. Um, so I'll start off with where it got into the squiggly path. So I was literally actually in conversation with Alaris, and we were talking about just how important it is for the psych um, the psychological element and going to space. And there's a lot of different programs out there, people doing things such as analog astronauts. And, and after that conversation, I was like, you know what, let me just, let me go ahead and just, you know, just put myself out there. And <laughs> I came across um, a, a simple internet research into different programs and I uh, applied within literally a few days it just so happened that a mission was getting ready to start and somebody's uh, that was supposed to come, they had to step back because of other reasons. So they had an open space. And if I could get there within two or three weeks. Oh my gosh. So I literally had, I was like, oh, I'm not passing this up. So so, so that's where that came in. And at during the mission, when they were giving different roles, because you know you may have a commander, you may have a medical officer, you may have all these different officers. And some missions, they do some missions where you don't really have defined roles, just to see how people function without those defined roles. And um, in this one, because of my background in scuba diving, which I also did, trying to get the space. <laughs> so once I I got my scuba diving certification and got, to, I had uh, fortunately at the time I had the advanced scuba diving, so it's a little bit of rescue training that we did. And once I shared that with them, I was like, oh, 
out of everybody here, you have the most medical background. So you're going to be the medical officer. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. So I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is, this is responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that experience was really cool. Just being in an environment. And one of my crewmates actually told me while we were under, he said that, okay, other than, you know, the physical experience of weightlessness or near weightlessness and looking out the window and seeing space, once you're locked up, you're in and out. Like there's really not much difference other than those physical things. Everything else is human dynamics, relationships, interpersonal relationships, dealing with um, life support. Life support, I have funny stories about life support. (laughs) You know, you're dealing with just regular human dynamics and quickly realize that, you know, we have some cool people that were doing radiology. We had different people, not radiology, but uh, studying um x-rays from a different background than the medical field a uh, more technical background on how how the machines work and had other people with other different really amazing backgrounds but quickly saw that we're just people and we need to be able to interact with each other and talk to each other normally and that really quickly became the the spirit of the thing like okay we're all so-called quote-unquote experts are really solid in our field somehow but we're all trying to survive right now so that can be put on the shelf and we need to figure it out together and it was a really cool experience I really enjoyed it and yeah it was it was one of those experiences I learned a lot about just human dynamics when things go wrong we we had an allocated amount of water we were told before the mission this is your allocated amount of water that's going to be running through the tap and you know you know as we are we're in it people just keeping their normal habits of how to use water we ran out of water on deck by day day three we were now just working off of reserves so i had to create yeah i had to work with the commander we had to create an action plan on how to manage the the water we have for the rest of the mission and seeing the amount of water you have left versus just it coming out of a, a faucet had a huge mental shift for the crew like it was a huge one and I just sat here like yeah and it was interesting that when I was talking to Lears when I told her hey I'm going to Poland one of the things we spoke about was like okay at some point there's going to be conflict at some point there's going to be different dynamics you're going to have to face and that little prep talk I was like oh here it is here it is here's that moment (laughs) so I was a little bit prepared because of that but it was a really fun experience having to manage that little issue. Man. I'm glad I could prepare you. Yeah. And know that I was <laughs> not that I told you so, but I'm glad that, well, that's validating, you know, part of my theoretical approach is like there is going to be a moment where you realize where you are. You realize this isn't like outside, even though you're still on earth. There's these constraints that you have to work through and people don't adjust until it comes through. I'm glad you had that visual. That's really interesting that that visual was there for you to say, yeah, uh, we're out of water. <laughs> That's something that a lot of people really don't, don't think about. Jason? I'd like, I'd like to actually lean in a little bit because I think this experience right here really is a lot about like what Deep Space Predictive is about on like human everywhere. Like what Lyris has been saying, what you know her primary you know argument in theory has been about conflict and how to navigate it With, without violating i'm sure there's probably stuff you can't say because of confidentiality mm-hmm. can you expand that experience like 
okay, the water's running low. You can physically see it. How did conflict arise? Where did the conflict come from? How was conflict resolved? Did that actually, that conflict affect any other parts of the mission? You know, I mean, just, if you could just open it up for us more. Yeah, definitely. I can open up uh, some parts of it. And uh, the parts that I can open up would be the moment we realized we didn't have water. Actually, I was at the helm. I was turning on the faucet in the cooking area and I'm just looking at it and the water is dripping much slower and then turned it off, turned it on and realized, oh, there's no more water. So now I was charged with the responsibility of breaking it to the crew that, hey, we don't, we've, we've, that is gone. And I think at that moment, it was a little bit of disbelief at first. They thought, oh, we're making jokes because we, because part of trying to you know, these are all strangers. So comedy was a form of people just trying to break that tension. So some people thought initially that it was just jokes that we we're making. And then once it became real, when people actually tried to go use the bathroom and saw that things weren't functioning the normal way, the type of conflict that arose was I could see people starting to um, take a more serious approach to it. Like, okay, now, although we did the calculations, we man um what's it called ration how much water each crew member would get given how much water you need to drink based on your body and how much we need to use for this and that we had enough water for the rest of the mission and mm -hmm. if people stay within these more, like you know more confined constraints but i could see how people start to revert back to yeah that's cool and all but i need to you know, I need to be okay with what I'm comfortable with. And that created conflict because some people would use more water than allocated mm -hmm. to them and wouldn't report it. So at the end of the day, when we're doing the final tally, the water just kept going down past the amount that we were, and people weren't really wanting to fess up to it. Or, But the, I think the thing that I can say is that one thing I noticed was some of our tendencies, like just here on earth, of hygiene practices of using this amount of water for hygiene or using this amount. Uh, the thought that I've heard from different astronauts saying that in space, you know, they miss showers and they miss, you know, things like that. Odors were different now and some people weren't comfortable having their odors being in the space. And so people would say, you know, which one do I rather do, keep my image or ration this water and people chose and some people chose images but we eventually rallied around once the water started to get even less and we really just had to have a a coming together moment where we discussed like hey we have enough water and some people aren't using all the water that they have so they are willing to share the water and we just have to have this moment where we're like look we're all in this together we don't want the mission to be failed don't want to have that on our report leaving. So let's figure this out. What's more important to us? We only have X amount of days left. Don't worry about it. But we eventually, you know, that only lasted for so long. We ended up getting a reshipment. And Mission Control was not shy about letting us know the actual financial cost of resupplying oh, water wow. coming from Earth. Like, they gave us a whole breakdown. It was really an eye-opening moment for me. Like, wow. If you're going to space, you really need to be prepared to, you know. Was it was it the two your ego? That's what it feels <laughs> like. Was this a two-week analog? No, this one was actually just a one-week analog. 
This one was just a one-week okay. analog. Yeah, that and, feels like a lot happened in one week. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had a lot going on. And I think at a certain point when we just started having all these simulated emergencies, and some of them I think might have been real emergencies, <laughs> but um, we had so many dynamic of emergencies and the mission control kept trying to prep us saying, hey, when you're on a mission like this, high stress, and you're trying to perform different scientific experiments. Some people have some really cool scientific experiments and I can share what some of them are. Some of them are doing eye dilation experiments due to light pollution and how that impacts performance. I personally was doing a urine analysis, which I thought was really cool because I was seeking to find the um, correlation between, can I predict some type of human productivity through analyzing urine? So um, it was a really cool, you know, when it has dehydration and all that things and stuff. So in the midst of trying to uh, conduct all of our research, Mr. Kudo kept telling us, hey, you're not going to finish everything. You're not, is you're gonna spend a lot of time on emergencies, life support. There are gonna be so many things in your way that you're gonna have to find a way to stay calm, find a way to accept that you're not gonna hit all of your objectives every day and try to manage yourself in such a way where you can figure out how can I adjust to meet these objectives and you know that was an interesting dynamic with you know the water shortage <laughs> what if you because I'm curious because mm -hmm. obviously for uh, deep space missions future deep space missions right I mean there's going to be years of training right and that sort of thing whereas an analog is sort of the opposite right let's let's just yeah. put six strangers or whatever it is uh, and for a week and see what happens. So if you were to explain, how would you define or explain the purpose of analog missions? Yeah. What, what's really the purpose of that? If, if, you know, if we know we need to train people and train them as a team together for a long time before we even consider, what's the, what's the purpose of an analog? Yeah, the analog. So the word analog is a funny word and it's really a, a, a synonym for analogous, which is supposed to be like space mission or like an astronaut. So the whole purpose is to try to create an environment as close to a specific situation that deals with space exploration. So some analogs would focus on uh, are in desert regions because it resembles a Mars-like environment in one degree and not visually or something of that nature. Others are underwater, which I'm looking, looking forward to one day doing, doing an underwater analog so you can start to practice EV extravehicular walks and that, mm -hmm. you know, altered um, relationship with the gravity, you know, those buoyancy and gravity, but, you know, it's the closest we have to weightlessness in space is water. So, you know, so all these things, they'll pick a, a subject that they want to research, or they may have a facility that allows them to research these different dynamics. And the purpose is putting people in there that are closest to what we would consider to be an astronaut going to actual space with similar backgrounds, similar, and, and this really, really hit me later. Like, why do they do this? Why don't they just pick anybody to go? And it made me realize that if you have a similar background, if I'm a mathematician, I'm my mind is already geared to think a certain way. And now you're putting somebody whose mind is geared to think a certain way in this type of condition. You want to see, you know, there's a lot with probability how closely we could get to someone who we're actually sent to space. So you know, different functions. So a lot of the, yeah, so in, in a nutshell, my experience is that analogs are designed to simulate one, two, or multiple components of what it would actually be like to conduct, you know, a, a mission for X amount of time. 
but I guess, but I guess my from the human component of things, mm -hmm. like the the stranger aspect of oh, it, right? Yes. Like, well, like what what are they trying to understand from having six strangers? You know, I mean, every you know, we could watch Big Brother, you know, all those kind of <laughs> different shows, similar, right? But like, what? How does that prep, or what what do they get from that piece of it? Yeah. I think that's a good question. Uh, one thing I can share about our experience is that having strangers that you just met like maybe a week ago and you're just only communication you had is through email. It's, it's an interesting human dynamic that I saw, which is everyone's nice, smiling, but when it's that first night to go to sleep, you can tell nobody's asleep because you're sleeping in rooms with all these strangers. You can't <laughs> trust them. That facade goes away that, oh, so... Um, I think that aspect just shows further how important it is to have that group dynamic developed and trained together for a longer period of time. And I think one time, one thing that I've noticed, and I think this will be a cool thing to do, is to prep people on different durations of time to see what is that time limit where people mm -hmm. feel a little bit comfortable before going on a mission. Because I've seen it where people are thrown in literally a day before an analog mission because somebody came out, which I was close to being, but, um, and other ones where they train together through email, mostly because they're around the world and talking things like that nature for a couple of weeks to a month or two. And I'm interested to see that study. I haven't really thought about that, but I would think someone would want to see what is that, that, that Goldilocks time frame where yeah. people have cohesive, before you send them on a mission to feel comfortable with each other in space. I think that's why NASA probably does like a year or two. Right. right. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's so many things that you brought up. So one, there has been a lot of research. I mean, NASA is even asking for researchers to have analogous um, participants in the research that are like astronauts, because a lot of the research academia is based on college students, right, mm -hmm. and in these environments. So having people who are adults, have adult situations, uh, um, advanced training in whatever that they're doing to go into these environments really helps, you know, uh, validate the research in a different way. Um, also, you know, you, you brought up about you know, developing trust. And there's a, 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 a area of research that I'm starting to look into is called rapid trust development. Mm -hmm. Because in with the analog like that, when you use seven days, they're only going to give you a day's training or less, depending on the, the length. I know, um, uh, I think I was looking at Luminars, which what you did uh, in Poland, I think it's one day before a couple of days for high seas, which is a month, you know, because you're going to have to have that evolution of trust development throughout the throughout the mission. But it would be really interesting to see. And that's what we're, you know, when we think about what we're doing at Deep Space Predictive, it is looking, there is this process of development and trust development and training that happens for your psychological health as well in developing because you know you have just beautifully exemplified all the things that happened and I one one thing I picked up on was ego and how people have to let go of ego and that's a realization that they don't realize that they have and what they need when you talked about the individual is like you know I don't want to smell in front of these people or I have this mm -hmm. image I want to do and that can you know in this case it was water it could be in anything 
yeah. that people have to realize what they have to give up for the good of the community, for the good of the crew and the mission. And that I think is something that people don't really think about that, that, that ego part and what, what you bring to the table is wrapped up in your own personal perception and projection. Oops. He froze. I think we had just a tiny little freeze. I think we can probably cut this out. Yeah. Yeah. It was holding late. It's going great. The energy is fabulous. Yeah, I thought I got I got into my little lecture mode. But yeah, with this. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I I think that yeah, it was a it was a really humbling experience once we were able, and I saw it on day five-ish where we started to. Well, me personally, I guess it was my personal uh, mind shift that really I started thinking about this more and I kept this mantra in my mind that the success of the mission matters more than any individual success. Mm -hmm. And that mindset really helped to recognize points where I could have uh, been more receptive and recognize when other people were not being receptive as well. But it was a really cool moment. And I think once that mantra really picked up, those titles that people held academically or they start to go out the window and we start to focus more on the success of the whole mission. Like, okay, your one experiment that you're doing, yeah, you're making major milestones on it, but you're spending more time on that exper um, experiment and not focusing the allocated time on other people's experiment and our success of the mission is determined by everybody's success. So it started to be a more give and take and people start, once we started realizing, well, look, I may not hit all my milestones, but if we can have a, a success of the mission, I saw a community start to build at that point. It's interesting it happened so quick because time, they did a time dilation study on our mission where they kept switching the time. And, and some days were shorter than other days and they would tell us when to go to sleep and when to wake up. And by the end of the mission, I did not know if it was night or day outside because all of our reference points to know what time of day it was, was gone. And it was a really interesting experience. So time did feel a lot slower at certain points. And it felt like we were in there for a month, honestly, just because we were up and it made me realize how efficient or a lack of efficiency we use our time when we're not in such a environment. There's so much wasted time throughout the day where you could got, get so much done. But yeah, just to kind of uh, virtue on your point, Lyris, about the ego aspect, I slowly saw the ego start to shift in people. Like people start to become like, okay, you know what? I'm, yeah, I may not know this. Let's figure this out together. Uh, mm. and that really, and it became less of trying to impress. Like you're already here. You got selected. You're in the program. So that whole, I can do everything attitude quickly. I'm not quickly, but slowly left. And it was like, okay, you know what? We, we all know what it's like to be students and take a test and not get all the answers right and not know something, have to go to tutor. We all know what these things are like. So there's no point to try to put on this face that, yeah, I'm just... I'm just deep space nine uh, issues happening or next generation of issues happen. And I could think like Jordy really quickly and figure out the engineering problem versus, you know what, we're going to spend two hours trying to figure out how to get this 
machine of work that none of us have experience with. We're going to look at the manual, we're going to read it. It, it became a, a more real experience. And once we kind of let those things go, I could see ego in that capacity start to play less of a role. Hmm. Man. Yeah. That, I mean, wow. I, there, there's just so many more things that this makes me think about, which is great. Like that's, I think that the purpose uh, of that is of, of these analog missions is clearly to feeds directly into how we think about sending people to Mars and beyond. Right. And, 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 the, the human dynamic, I mean, it's so like, it's no wonder they have so many analogs going constantly, right? Because there's, there's so many things, different things that you can pull out of each one. Um, I mean, humans, we're freaking complicated. Like that. <laughs> and, and you can't prepare for everything. So then, then what's the baseline, which is really, I think what Deep Space predicted, what, what, and in Human Everywhere, what we're trying to understand is like, Great, there's a baseline, but then there's all this other stuff where you can't even begin to understand and expect. So what what's what's the fundamentals that can be provided to this group of people who a you know we may never they may never see Earth again. They're their own little community, society, whatever you want to call it now. Um, how do we take care of them when when we're when the rest of us are never going to see you again you know all of that I think like um it makes me think about the expansion as you said of all these different analogs that are popping up all over the world and one of the things that i've been working on is helping to set up an analog in africa where i'm originally from like nigeria started a, a space company and co-founded it called space ready and taking that analog experience and wanting to expand it I think just kind of hitting on your point of what are those baselines. And I think one of the ways we get those baselines is getting more, a lot of diversity in it so we can see what cuts through across the different language, uh, um, background, cultural things and say, what are these essential accessions? Like I may like really spicy food, somebody else may not really like spicy food. You know, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you about cultural differences in mm -hmm. your analog experience. You know, you coming in as an American, was it an international and then African as well? You know, what, how did that impact your understanding of, you know, what to expect, what to let go, mm -hmm. you know, as you all started to evolve your community? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because, yeah, I was the only American on the uh, on the mission, as well as the only African on the mission as well. And most of it was spread. A lot of the other participants, they were actually all of them, they were from different parts of Europe and they came through. I think three of them were from Poland and a couple were from other peripheral um, nations in Europe. And it was, there were some cultural differences, but I was already expecting that once I saw the roster, I was like, okay, I'm expecting there's gonna be some uh, cultural dynamics there. And one thing that was interesting was music. So we had an opportunity to play music and I found myself a bit timid to play different music that I would normally listen to. But um, because my, my music palette is wide due to my dad being a music major, so I was always exposed to just all type. I was quickly able to adapt to everyone else's music and enjoy it and find joy in it. And when it got finally got to the point, like, hey, you know, everybody, hey, 
Toby, play some music from where you're from or something like that. I was like, oh, I don't know how you guys are going to respond to this. <laughs> so I, you know, I play some straight, you know, more, I, I played Afrobeat, which is like an African version of hip hop. I play some more traditional um, African music that I listen to. And I played, a, a, I didn't really play too much of um, hip hop music that I listen to here, but I could tell that once I started playing music, and I found that they knew some of the music or they were just bouncing to the music, I felt more relaxed. And it was kind of, I was hi- not really hiding behind music, but I, it was a it was an avenue to be like, oh, you're, you kind of would embrace my culture. Yeah, I was like, okay, they can handle it, it's good. It made me feel a little bit more comfortable. And, and one night we had this amazing night where we were just listening to music just listening to music. We, we did a lot of our missions and we're just enjoying music. Mm-hmm. And I was being put onto some African music that I've never heard before. And I was like, wow, this is really cool to see that people in this environment um, are receptive to other cultures. And it made me feel more relaxed to be myself and, and not just, uh, played a role I played in school when it was time for roll call and people were calling my name and kind of just shine to the side. I'm like, yeah, that's me. You know, those type of things. It was like, oh, people are okay with trying to pronounce my name and people think my name actually is cool. You know, so it was a, it was a really cool dynamic to see that. And I think that's a huge important factor in trying to go to space for a long duration times. How well can we embrace other people's culture that we're going to be stuck with for X amount of time? Really cool. That is cool. And that's that's the 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 hope that we all have. That's what you know. We talk about Star Trek. It's about bringing everyone's culture mm-hmm. and living together and embracing that it's not trying to take over, but it's appreciating and sharing. Mm-hmm. And that's what we all want to do. So tell that kind of goes into you talked about building um, your own analog and bringing it to Africa. What tell us a little bit about that and what you hope to come out of that. Yeah, so building the analog in Nigeria was the original goal, and and it's still one of the goals that's on the table. But through circumstances of events, and that squiggly line got to Kenya and made some really cool connections in mm. Kenya with people that are looking to develop analog astronauts and and stations, and you know start to become more immersed in the experience of space travel and preparing for it that I met a cool group there that are looking to build an analog in Kenya. And I'm actually, in July, we'll be flying out to Kenya to be a guest speaker there to talk about my experience and help them survey the land and look at the different things there. And one thing I think about is, I know we're talking about water, but again, with water. In uh, certain places, some people are, are familiar with bucket uh, showers and other people aren't don't know what that is. And because I grew up on that, I was like, why do you not know what a bucket is? And, and so um, the idea is that, and just that, I'm using that as an example, like in, in different places in Africa, they have a different relationship with their environment and resources and how to use it. And going into space, I really think that there are so many little tricks and so many little things that really would make the use of resources efficient if we look at it from a different lens. And I think Africa has something to offer with that. For example, if you want to measure how much water somebody's using, although the their their company's trying to figure out the gravity thing, but but just for you know a loose example, when we having a bath in Africa, we use buckets and we are able to precisely measure how much water we're using so that mm-hmm. we can 
bathe more efficiently. So a whole family can bathe off of one bucket of water. Whereas if you're taking a shower out here in the US somewhere, as you're lathering up, water's still hitting you. So that's essentially water that's not being used as efficiently as it could be mm-hmm. if you have a bucket that you're picking. So it's just some small little mental shifts that I think since we're all going to go together, we can just pick the from the best of all of our cultures and the most efficient use from all our cultures. And the only way we can do that is if we expand the periphery of where we're practicing at. So, um, yeah, the Kenya one is really amazing. Um, going to go survey some sites and hmm. northern Kenya in the desert area, which is really cool. And one of the ideas that they had is to. the And it just this is another example, just. If we go to Mars and go to the moon, we have to use the local resources to build our abodes in some degree. There's, I don't see how we're gonna bring all of our stuff from Earth to Mars. We have to be able to function in the environment. And if you go to Northern Kenya and other places in like the Sahara, people are building abodes. People are figuring out a way to thrive with their environment. So I think we could take some of those resources and figure out, okay, this is a technique we could use. That's a technique we could use. And it's not just limited to one, you know, one path, which we've seen with the squiggly line, does not get you there easily. So um, yeah, what we're doing there in Africa and kind of goes into the software company, not software company, but the company that I co-founded, which is Space Ready, which was kind of some of the stuff we've spoken about, expanding the time that a crew was together, figuring out how to collect this information in a, in a more supportive way that focuses on the astronaut as opposed to the equipment they're using, like the astronauts are the center of what we're trying to do with developing the software and interface. And as we go into space with the commercialization of space, we're going to get people that do not have the same background as the traditional routes has been. So we have a different relationship with technology. People are using social media in different ways. How can we create an interface that's more accepting for people that may not be traditional to the used to using that the NASA Gantt chart, which is a lot of information in one thing that if I'm not from that academic background like that, that may be off-putting. And a lot of times I found my academic career was that the subject matter itself is not the most difficult part. It's learning all of the tools. I have to learn this new program and how to get this command and how to use R or whatever program to get to the material. And then by that time, I spent all this time trying to learn a, a, a software that I'm not familiar with it feels like I've done a bunch of work when I haven't even started the research yet. So trying to get that interface software to be more palatable to the regular person is what, the, uh, what we're focusing on. And bringing it to Africa is one thing that we are looking at. And it's it's been, it's been a really cool journey, meeting some cool people in Nigeria, South Africa, uh, Egypt, just different places that have the same mindset of, hey, we want to get into space. And, and kind of like what you said er- earlier, Ubi, about how, you know, if when you're not in it, you you have this image of what mm-hmm. it is that can mm-hmm. be intimidating, so you don't want to get into it. But then, you know, coming in like, hey, I went through an analog experience. I've seen some of the stuff that goes through it. I've talked to this person. I've spoken to that person. We can do this. All we have to do is put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, this is what an analog astronaut mission is. We can create that right now. <laughs> you know, so it's been a fun experience. Well, if we have Counselor Ola Oluwalatobi, how would I do? How would I do? You got to 97%. I like it. <laughs> well, 
Chancellor, if you're there, I'm in all day long. That's all I'm going to say. That, yeah, I'm really excited for what you're doing. I think that's fantastic. And if we can get more, if we can get more of that happening, in my opinion, then we can get more people like us who have found this squiggly path to get here that's not really clear, but it can become pretty clear pretty fast. Uh, we can get more people on earth on that path, even if it's squiggly, right? And and that's that's how we find that Star Trek future, in my opinion, is we, we, we get all of us on a bunch of squiggly paths, which I think is totally fine. <laughs> you know, one thing I wanted to say to that when you say Star Trek, and it remind me of how much of our, you know, line, and it has been some type of science fiction. I was... yeah. I recently got the chance to uh, get a TV show in Nigeria called Learn Every Day. It was just focused on space science education. And in and, and doing preparation for one of the episodes, I did a little deeper dive on the term astronaut and all of that. And come to find out that the term itself comes from a science fiction writer describing a ship. And and he was like, and I read it and it was like, yeah, I entered the astronaut on August something, blah, blah, blah. And then- Oh, wow. Later, we're starting to use that in actual science. So it's like our history of even comes from our imagination. So it, it makes me like, yeah, Star Trek is perfect. I I'm not gonna be hiding behind my idea in my mind. I wanna I wanna have my counselor's office. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Oh, I love it. Well, I think we are at the end of our time. This has been absolutely a remarkable conversation, and yeah. we want to thank our guests for providing us a look and an insight into something that so few of us will actually be able to get to do and to really making sure that we focus on the human part of the analog mission. So uh, on behalf of my co-hosts, Ubi and Illyris, we want to thank our guests and thank everyone who tuned in today for Human Everywhere on behalf of Deep Space Predictive. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye.